0: so good to be back recording. I am back now from maternity leave. I'll get into that on on a later episode. I'm super excited to report a lot of things in that arena, but right now we have Casey with us. Casey Sowers is with us. He's with the Father's Rights Movement, and he's got some really big findings that we're going to be discussing today, and so He's my first guest after coming back and it's it could not be more appropriate. We actually have a blog that has just gone live on our website as well, so please check out anrlaw.com to find the blog. And what we're going to be discussing with you today is pretty important. It is a study of the United States that links custody battles to loss of corporate revenue. And that revenue is based on the attendance and awareness and ability to perform of its employees. And so Casey, I'm so pumped for you to be here with me today, and I couldn't be more pumped about this study because I've been talking about this for forever, I feel like, and the correlation that we all know in the industry, as the people in the industry and as colleagues, we all know that there's this massive correlation between whether or not a company is receiving the most out of its employees when they're in the middle of a custody battle we know the answer, but we haven't had anything that's been able to prove that to us. And we've definitely not had anything that's covered all of the United States of America, which I'm particularly interested in. And now we have some emerging information. So thank you so much for being here, Casey.
1: Thank you. for. I'm happy to be here. And I've got some numbers from you and estimates that will really kind of put it into perspective, I think. And I think you're going to be very interested in seeing that.
0: Absolutely. So If you would, just kind of give me a background of how you got involved in this. Obviously, we all have personal relationships with this industry, and don't go too far into that. Just, you know, touch on it, and then tell me about what drew you to wanting to do this study, and then we're going to get into what you think are the most remarkable findings, and I've got some ideas myself.
1: Sure. So I, um, you know, I came into the Father's Rights Movement, I think, I I didn't even think to start looking stuff up until a year into my custody dispute because I have my history and I have such a a polarizing background being that I I raised my own 13-year-old daughter on my own, you know, her entire life, but wasn't able to have access to my younger daughter from a a follow-on relationship. And that brought me to the father's rights movement, which I do want to say, and I, I know the name can be controversial to some people, but this hits somebody out of the blue and that's, you never see it coming. You, know, you go online and what do you do? You search father's rights. So the reason the name is what it is is so that when they do that, they find us, we've got a crisis line that they can call and speak to somebody. And we want to be there to try and catch people, you know, and provide them assistance, whether it be mental, emotional, or, or guidance, or what have you, as soon as possible. Because you never go in, you know, while you're mar- happily married and, and think about this stuff and look at, see what resources there are. So we want to be as easy as possible to find for those individuals.
0: And the crisis line, that is open to males and females, but particularly we have found that men in this specific arena of family court are more affected than women generally. That's what we found in the past.
1: And we don't advocate for men over women. We advocate for equal share parenting. Right. Like I said, the name is because majority of the people affected are male, but actually about 30, uh, 35% of our base is actually female. So we support mothers and, and have taken action to, to help mothers in nice. uh, similar situations as well.
0: Amazing. And I'm glad that you pointed that out, because I do think that's a big misconception of the father's rights movement. I particularly don't mind the name. That's because, though, I lost touch with my father. I was kind of removed from my own father in my own childhood. So... In looking at my own childhood, I can see that if my father's rights had been protected, that I would have had more of a shared equal parenting schedule with both parents. So it's an interesting caveat, but the goal is equal shared parenting. The only reason it's called father's rights is because we're trying to bring the fathers up to equal parenting, not more so. Neither party needs more than the other. It's really just a focus on shared parenting. So thank you so much for clarifying that aspect of it. So, you entered into the Father's Rights Movement. You are now the president, correct?
1: Executive director for the model that we use here.
0: Organization. Mm -hmm. And you have been just breathing life and energy into that. I think that, you know, it has gotten a bad rap just due to some of the people that have been involved in it throughout the years. But you specifically are very level headed. You've been very purposeful in your communication around this. And the message that you send out around the father's rights movement. And so you were able to kind of organize this study and what was your inspiration for organizing this study?
1: So as you already know, I'm I'm in a doctoral uh, program at Florida international university and I was doing my thesis on something completely different. I do a lot of things. I consult and I do this and I'm studying. So for me, you know, I remember I was sitting on the couch and I was like, man, I just wish I could do my thesis on, you know, the stuff with the father's rights movement, just to, if anything, to compound my time. But to me, a lot of it seemed more psychological, but I'm a business student. And then it finally dawned on me one day, well, how does this affect? Because I recall going to w- work when I was doing my custody dispute. And the last thing I did was focus on work. I was emailing my attorney, stepping out in the hallway to, to talk to him, organizing files, you know, strategizing. I wasn't sleeping. And I was like, well, how does that affect corporations through employee productivity. I mean, if you're operating heavy machinery and you're not, you're maybe two hours of sleep, you know, what's the increased risk potential just for that one individual? It could be catastrophic for a, for a company.
0: And you were like, here's my link to business. So I decided
1: I wanted to try and quantify that from the, the business perspective, because if we can get, if we can establish that there is an impact to corporations, it's, 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 I think, a $55 billion industry, family court and, and child custody industry is really what it is. That money's got to come from somewhere. And as fragmented as the shared parenting community is, even coming together, it's still going to be quite a battle. The only way that I think we're really going to move the needle is to make this plight towards other people and how it affects them, specifically corporations, because corporations. They have a pot of money that they use for donating to campaigns, uh, for legislators and politicians. And if they want you know, to save money on their bottom dollar that they may be losing, well, then they're going to have their politician vote the way that they want or make sure that they're funding the person that will vote the way that they want.
0: So when we, because we had a conversation, I was able to meet you through, I think Emma Johnson, and we had a conversation about... HR and about how HR was affected by and how HR could affect the uh, equal rights and equal shared parenting movement and about how people with subpoenas and dealing with subpoenas on businesses, dealing with trying to get bank statements from banks and holding up the teller line, all the way down to how your accountant is involved in this. All of the school teachers, the principals, everybody is involved and can be brought into a custody battle. And, and so then it's a domino effect. Not only is it affecting the parents, it's affecting all of these other businesses, it's affecting all of these other people. And we were able to run through that. Did you start this study after that conversation and the, and the HR link? And then how then that you were talking about lobbying and all of that, which obviously that is a way that businesses can definitely affect the bottom dollar of how this organization works and how much money is being spent in this industry and redirecting that money into an appropriate place instead of it all being just funneled to attorney's fees, which is what most of that $55 billion is going towards and massive amounts of attorney's fees over many, many, many years versus shorter timeframe, less amount of money. People are getting back to work. They're being productive again. And so had you already... Started that before we talked, or was that did that give like a little bit of a catalyst to it? I was just wondering if the HR conversation sparked any of this.
1: (laughs) Actually, you know, the, the thing is, is I was telling Don Huben about my interest in making that connection. And that's actually what brought him to to connect you and I. Oh. So we were already on the same page.
0: Wow. I was thinking it was Emma. It's Dawn, of course, NPO. It's Dawn. Look at National Parents Organization. If you have not looked at it, that is one shout out we're both giving right now. So I'm so happy because this is something that it's hard to get a study of this. I've actually tried to pay for a university, pay for the graduate student salaries in order to be able to do this. But the places that I was always going was, like you said, the psychology aspect of it. And they're like, well, we don't. Study business, and so this is like ah, the angels are singing.
1: So I, I definitely did some adaptation, you know, for the mental and emotional impact. I adapted a already kind of like established general health questionnaire that they've been using for you know thirty years, forty years, and then I used an established instrument for the job performance, and then connected the two to make that make that measure a mediating and a moderating effect on job performance between the case conditions, specific case conditions, because they vary, and the impact of mental emotional health. And then that, of course, moderating effect to the job performance.
0: And just, I'm going to make one comment then I'm going to let you kind of talk about the findings that you thought were just really, you know, inspiring. And this is just your pilot. So let's just, everybody understand this is just the pilot. I um, mean it will be refined and but it did reach all 50 states. The study did, it had thousands of people participate. How many people exactly, Casey?
1: So I overall I had uh, 6700 responses, but I had to filter out down to about 4300.
0: Okay, but still that's a large amount for a first go at this for sure. One of the things that I thought was very interesting, you did ask a question that specifically was about suicide. And I know that suicide is a big deal in my book. It's a big deal that we talk about when we were talking about this, both children and parents commit suicide at a alarming rate whenever they're involved in child custody disputes and battles. And one of the, the questions that you had asked is throughout my custody dispute, I felt that life isn't worth living. And the responses could be either always, most of the time, about half of the time, sometimes, or never for that question, the never was only 12.58%. So of the people who are dealing with child custody battles and disputes, and are having certain thought processes around that, only 12.58% of them never thought that life isn't worth living. I think that that's pretty interesting. It's also interesting to digest this data, because I got it in kind of a, Somewhat raw format, which is cool to be a part of this, like early on, and to be like creating (laughs) what these statistics are actually saying, or what the study is actually saying, to be able to format that and understand it and kind of piece it together. But that was one thing that I thought was incredibly validating to the concept that we already think about in a large way. And then all of the rest of the questions are formatted in a way that, like for instance, as it applies to your job during the custody dispute. How do you rate the quality of your own work? And then by state, each state, we have a metric of either insufficient, poor, average, good, or very good. And for instance, in New York, only 5% said very good.
1: Now, keep in mind, the MPO shared parenting report card, New York is an F state.
0: Right, exactly. And that's one thing that, you know, you're coming out with the correlations. Like now that you have the information, we've got to correlate it men, women, how do they feel about it? Did you settle your dispute? Did a judge order it at the end of the day? So also let's mark that at the end of the day, you could have had an entire custody battle for five years and then finally figured out that you just wanted to, to settle it on your own. That chunk of people, we say whenever I talk to people, 90-ish percent of people settle their cases. There's only a small portion that actually finalize their court order with a judge. Most of them settle at some point ahead of time. Now, where do you settle, though? Do you settle in the very beginning? Do you never get attorneys involved? Do you get attorneys involved and settle out of court? Do you settle as soon as you start court because you realize what rigmarole you're going to have to go through? Do you settle at mediation? Is it mandatory in your state? Do you settle after you've spent $50,000 and you don't have any more money? Do you settle after your children start having so many psychological issues that you realize that court and these custody battles are causing that? Or do you finalize with the judge at the end of the day? So that spectrum, we're not really going to be able to illuminate necessarily in your study. But just, you know, if you just kind of remember that in the background and then to still see that these people are feeling very distraught about their own work and if they're going to self-report, okay, let's just talk about, is someone really going to self-report at work? How poorly they're doing? No. This is just for corporations to see. You can take this, this is what they're willing to self report, magnify that, and that's what you're actually dealing with with your employees who are being subjected. Yeah, no,
1: they're trying to make sure they exactly. keep their job. Exactly.
0: So it's very interesting, this whole concept. So, Casey, tell me you've been in this industry as one of my colleagues. You've seen it from the collegiate perspective, you've also seen it from your personal perspective and now you're seeing it from a behind the numbers perspective. And so tell me what has been your enlightenment through this?
1: Well, one, you know, it's something that's actually very hard to measure because there's so many variables. You know, if they settled or whether it's a a court order, the custody percentage that they may have gotten or the timesharing, if they live in in New York and the other lives in LA, you're not going to do 50-50. I tried measuring that, but the distance between the other parent, that was actually one of the questions. But some people, uh, I have to refine how I allow them to respond because they filled it out. Some, a lot of people filled it out incorrectly or how much time passed where you had no access to your child. Some people put the year rather than how many years it actually passed or things like that. So I have to refine how I ask those questions or allow them to respond to them. But there's so many factors. I mean, and even if you do settle, Someone brought to me or said to me a few months ago that he was told some, 71% of men settle an agreed order for less than 50-50. Well, let's look at the what men are facing when they go to court. Let's say in New York, it's an F state for equality. So they know one thing, I'm going to go to court, I'm going to spend a lot of money. And they know another thing, I'm not going to win. So they're going to settle with what they think they are going to be able to get. And if they already think that they're defeated, they're going to settle for a lot less. And I'm not saying that this needs to be a war, because I really don't think it needs to be. This is a father, a mother who loves their child, and they're just trying to do the best that they can for that child. And the courts are making it divisive, the way the laws are written. You know, I could go on and on and on about that, to, to be honest. So there's so many variables. I'm trying to with the pilot study just established that there is an impact, one, to mental and emotional health, and two, to job performance, which does affect corporations.
0: Right. And so what have you found thus far that leads you to believe there is absolutely an impact?
1: So every single question that I had of mental, emotional health and job performance shows a significant impact, a negative impact, male, female alike. The only thing that I wasn't able to establish a correlation that I would have liked to seen is the variation between the states based on the MPO shared parenting report card. There is some correlation, but not as much as I'd like to have seen or expected to see. But I did collect information that I will be analyzing that divides it up other ways, as you mentioned, male, female, whether or not it was agreed upon or, you know, just sectioning out what was ordered by a judge, because if it's agreed upon, it's probably not going to be as clear as if it was ordered by a judge when you try and correlate it with the national, uh, the NPO shared parenting report card. So that, we might be able to see a lot more correlation.
0: Absolutely. So there was a significant impact. And as you go through these questions, which one really kind of stood out to you that was just kind of gave you a minute to pause whenever you were going through the and digesting the information that came back to you?
1: Well, yeah, I was really kind of expecting all of it, and it was very consistent across the board, both mental and emotional health and, and job performance. So there is a direct correlation between the mental, emotional health and job performance, which seems like a no-brainer. But I wanted to get it on paper, have the research to officially establish it, and that's just the first step. Uh, we're now preparing to adapt the study to an international focus and do the study in other, other countries as well. However, before we can do that, I'm going to try and capture a cultural, cultural sentiment of those countries. Maybe 50-50 isn't what the overall culture feels it should be, regardless of what the laws are. So capture that first. And then, so this is really just a first step in a series of studies that we'll be
0: doing. Awesome. Well, my focus is divorce in America. So I'm very right. no, know, interested in divorce in America. And I want you to like lock this down all the way.
1: So let me give you some, some, some estimates, Okay. I established that there is a negative impact to mental and emotional health and job performance. Now, the national average salary for an individual is 30, just over $31,000. There's 14.2 million custodial parents in the US. That's the custodial parents. So for every custodial parent, there's a non-custodial parent. So it's 28.4 million parents, which are based the fact that their parents, most likely they're working age individuals. 28.4 million. The entire workforce in the, in the U.S. I think is 100, around 168 million. So the 28 million, that makes up 17, 18, 17.5. So rounded up to 18% of the entire U.S. workforce, labor force, all right? At $31,000 a year, that adds up to $884 billion a year in salaries. Let's say I'm at work. How much productivity loss am I demonstrating because I'm being affected by a custody dispute? Say 25% of my day or 25% of my week, just a rough number, 25%. Say that across everybody, the 28.4 million people and their salaries. That's $221 billion in lost productivity. The national GDP is 21.4 trillion. So 221 billion sounds like a lot, and it is against 21 trillion, that's 1% of the national GDP. You're like, oh, that's only 1%, that's nothing. Now, the desired growth for the GDP is two to 3%. So when you look at the annual growth, two to 3%, 1% makes a huge difference, okay? And that's, I mean, just using rough numbers to to create some type of an estimate. It could be people are impacted more than 25% of their productivity maybe the salaries you know that we're looking at are higher than 31,000. So this could be far more. I mean, it's a significant impact to the economy and to the United States. Now, keep in mind this is being measured as a 55 billion dollar a year industry as as we mentioned earlier. But the repercussions in other areas are far more drastic. 221 billion. So that money, I mean, Corporations pay their employees, their employees pay the attorney's fees, court fees, everything else. Corporations are actually losing more money than what people are paying because of productivity. So it's definitely who of corporations to take a, a lot closer look at this. And I'm, I'm definitely going to. And as I, I get it and can package this in a digestible format, um, I'll be publishing it.
0: I cannot wait. Okay, so one thing that I wanted to touch on is the amount that people paid. Or they reported paying for their divorce. And so that does not necessarily affect corporations, like you said. That goes towards like the $55 billion industry. However, what someone is paying directly and how much money is going out of their monthly budget to something that is unidentified whenever they take a job is going to increase the level of stress on that household and on that person while they're working. And it's also going to mean that they're going to demand more from their employer while performing less in order to be able to meet those differences. And so people who spent more than $150,000, more than $150,000, in California, 16.18% spent more than $150,000 on their divorce. Whenever I tell people what the averages are in the counties that we are able to service in North Carolina, which we basically service the entire state, but the counties where our offices are physically located. And I tell them, you know, in this county, the average amount that you're going to spend on a litigated divorce that includes child custody is 70,000. In, in another county, it's 150,000. That's the average amount someone's going to spend on a litigated divorce that is involving child custody. People are like, what? Like, is that for real? Now, that is over years, right? That's not in one year. That's not in one salary year. That is, some of these people are locked in litigation. I mean, if your child's 18 and you start when they're a newborn, it's 18 years sometimes. You know, and then your, your property dispute can go on even beyond after your child has even finalized school. In fact, your custody battle, back child support, all of that can be happening after the child has finalized college college. They can be, have their own family and having kids, and you could still be dealing with child support, back child support, custody issues, etc. So that is crazy. That's crazy. We're not going to be dealing with a custody battle, but the other effects of it, which would be the child support.
1: My personal situation, we had no joint assets. The divorce took longer than we were, were married. And the only factor was child custody. And it took two and a half years and $140,000.
0: Per person, or that was you? That's just me. Nice. That's a lot. So that's your children's college fund. Yep. And we, I say that- That never had to be. I, it never had to be. I say that all the time. My settlement firm, I say, you can pay for your own kids to go to college, or you can pay for your attorney's kids to go to college. And that's a decision that you can make early on. And another thing that's disgusting that is happening is attorneys are doing qualified domestic relations orders from- retirement accounts to begin to begin to start a custody battle meaning that you are going into your spouse's retirement account or your own and doing a qualified domestic relations order and pulling off 25 to thirty thousand dollars to start straight off of your retirement which if you add back in what that would be when you actually retire how much money you would have gotten from that 25 to thirty thousand that the attorney takes to begin the case how is that legal? How is that even legal? I mean, I'm an attorney and I'm sitting here like, what is happening? Of course, I have lots of questions about what's happening in our country at this point, but that's neither here nor there. So, you know, when I'm looking at these studies though, and I'm looking at these numbers, it is impressive to me that we even have a 16.18% in the column of more than $150,000. That is a lot that is a lot. And then, you know, less than 10,000, those numbers, uh, Alabama, Alaska, New York, Ohio, Arizona, Arkansas, California, they're minimal. There's hardly anybody who's paying less than $10,000. That would include all the people who did it themselves and, and are, you know, had to spend basically no money or were able to come to an agreement at the kitchen table, which is kudos. Kudos. That, That
1: does include, that does include those individuals that agreed upon by both parties. Right. So yes.
0: So, Minimal numbers, and then you get over into the thirty to thirty nine thousand dollar range higher it's just it's It's amazing how much people are spending, and now we have an actual report of that. We can see where it is that people are spending money or or have some sort of understanding to be able to conceptualize how crazy this really is because for the people who have never been involved in it or are just involved in it or nobody in their family ever got divorced they're just blindsided. And like you said, they start to Google, like, what is happening to me in family court? What is this completely corrupt? You know, like,
1: <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. That's something I, I realized about six months in after the first court hearing, I figured you know, I'll go there. I'll say my piece. We will get 50 50 and we'll move on with our lives. And that will be the end of it. That was my expectation. And I think that's something important for people to realize that are Entering into this situation, um, that would be the first thing is you need to set your expectation that however your ch- old your child is, subtract that from 18, and that's how long you need to think that you're going to be doing this. So if your child's two, you better plan on doing this for 16 years. It's not something that's going to happen and fix itself in, in six months, because the mentality and the stress and you, know, your, your reaction is based on that expectation. So you're going to get angry, you're going to get depressed. And when things don't go how you expect them to. So you need to think about playing the long game. Hopefully, hope that that's not the case, that it doesn't go that long. But you're able to think much more clearly and your reactions are much better if you have that expectation that this is going to be something that's going to go on for a while.
0: You know, as an attorney, setting expectations is and managing expectations is a huge part of my daily task. And I do think that, you know, there is definitely a crossroads of trying to think positively and be a force of positivity in a very negative world that you may or may not be finding yourself in. And then also understanding what the reality is of the country. And I think this study helps people to see okay, here is the reality of what we're dealing with. We're all working really hard, and it's getting a lot better. It is a lot better today than it was three years ago. I can tell you that. We have made some dramatic strides in this front. I feel very proud of me and my colleagues for our dedication and what we all have collectively tried to do to spread awareness over this and to also provide other options. So I'm just going to highlight those options because the awareness aspect is what Casey is working on, and the options aspect is what I am working on. And so the other options are have an understanding and have conversations with your spouse before you guys actually separate. Try to have those conversations before you actually separate. What are you actually going to do to protect your children? Understand how your children are affected. Please read my book. There are other books that you can read. Listen to the podcast. Understand what these, the global effects are on children who enter into litigation. Understand that you can choose. You are the determiner of your future, the two of you. Now, if one of you chooses to go to court, the other person has to go. But you can both choose to keep this in your own court. You can choose to sit down, you can choose to mediate, you can choose to settle, you can choose to stay out of court, you can choose to have authority over your own life as a parent. The moment you go to court, you give that authority over. Every state in the United States of America has the welfare of children as one of its powers, but it does not have that power unless you go to court and you ask them to intervene and figure out what your custody needs to be. Otherwise, it is in your court. You get to figure that out until you give that power away. And so, Think through what your process options are. Make an informed decision about what you're going to put your family through. Whenever people choose collaborative or mediation or settlement negotiation, they are done with this in about six months. That's a huge difference.
1: I think that's definitely the best way to go. The courts, I mean, nobody's gonna win if you go before a judge. And you know, another thing that I have noticed in my experience that I would like to share with people that will help them a lot as well in, in their, how they man, handle themselves is I've seen a lot of victim mentality because people are hurt. Emotions are hurt. And for me, my resolve was I'm not a victim. I could argue that, but I'm not. And I'm a father. There's fathers out there and there's mothers. And for me, my duty as a father is to do whatever I need to for the best interest of my child, to endure whatever I need to. So it's about being patient, doing what's best for your child, not being reactive, and staying mentally healthy. Because even if you're not able to see your child because of the dispute or what have you, when you are able to see your child, you need to be complete and whole as a person.
0: Yes. For what you do. Preach. Love it. Well, Casey, this is just the beginning. I'm going to have you back on here once we have everything refined and we know it all and we're you know, out of the pilot stage. But I wanted to be the first because this has been my baby just as much as it's been your baby. I mean this study is your baby, but this concept has been my baby just as much as it's been your baby.
1: No, we're going to we're going to come up with some solutions together. <laughs> yes.
0: Sure. We are. And you know, and I don't want this to be I don't want anybody to be dissuaded from this. We just want you to have awareness, really that it's not just you, that this is a global issue. This is an issue that many, many, many people and many families are facing. We are trying to protect these kids. We're trying to help them and save them. It is possible if you're the counterpart, your spouse, or the mother or father of your child has chosen litigation and you have no other option. We understand that. There are still things that you can do for yourself, for your reaction, and for your child, ultimately, that helps you in this scenario. And we are all trying to help with that. Please look out for these resources. Look for resources. Make informed decisions. Don't shoot off the hip. Don't react out of emotion. Make an informed decision. Seek help. We're here for you. So, Casey, give information for the hotline, please, and then also your information.
1: I don't have it in front of me. So, But if you go to our website, tfrm.org, you can find information about our organization as well as information for the the crisis line. And we are working on developing other programs such as uh, reunification initiatives, lots of other fun, exciting stuff that will be coming up. Awesome. I say fun, exciting, but I'll say productive.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I will say it is getting so much better, and that feels really good. That part of it is the fun part that we are making strides in America for people who are coming into this system just now. And also, I want to make a statement just from common sense perspective. This is not the judge's fault. You're giving the judge maybe an hour, two hours, three hours to know your entire life history, who you are as a person, your personality, the personality of your children, the personality of your spouse, the entire financial dynamic that you have, the environment that you're in, where you came from as a child, You know what's been influencing you, how were your parents? That is impossible. That person cannot know all of that and be able to make an informed decision about your case. So it's not the judge's fault. This is a process problem. This is a industry problem we are trying to fix this at the base level because that's where it's problematic. We have to fix the foundation and rebuild. And we're doing that in many states.
1: I was talking about that this weekend that, you know, what I noticed in my case is that the judge was making decisions with the guardian ad litem and with, you know, mental health professionals, everything to protect whatever decision he made. Because if he makes a decision and something goes horribly wrong, he can say, Well, I had all this other, you know, supportive evidence. They can't just say, Oh, 50 50, because what if it goes bad? But if they had rebuttable presumption of 50 50 as the baseline, yes, had to argue one way or another why it shouldn't be, that judge would have a lot more to go off and say, Hey, it's 50 50. So the judges, they can get in a lot of trouble. So they are really. With the, the information, the situations that they're presented with, they really are doing the best that they can.
0: And reach out to your senator and your representatives in your state because it is likely that there is, a, there is a bill on your floor. It is very likely. We have bills on the floor in 20-something states. That's almost half of this country. Look at National Parents Organization website. Make informed decisions. These things are changing. If you want to be a positive force and you want to help this, reach out to your own representatives and senators. Tell them that you want that bill to be passed. Tell them that you want a bill if, you, if, you, if there's not a bill and start to reach out. We have one on the floor in North Carolina. These things, it's a big, big push. It's a big picture. It's gonna to need to involve everybody in order to get us over the hill and over the hump. So thanks so much, Casey.
1: It really is. And unfortunately, the, the, you know, I, and I don't even wanna say that. I would say the only loser in this would be the, you know, the bar association and the money they're making. But, you know, one of the things I saw in the study is that, Arizona which is an A minus state versus New York which is an F state that people actually spent more money on attorneys and court fees because they it was a more fair fight. So the bar association may be doing it wrong. They actually may benefit from the laws being
0: 50-50. Interesting. That's a little teaser for what's coming up next, but okay, thanks Casey for coming on and we will see you guys next time on Divorce Healthy. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divorce Healthy, your guide to mastering conflict resolution at home and in the workplace. To inquire about speaking engagements, purchase your copy of Ashley Nicole's book, The Cure for Divorce Culture, or to schedule your private orientation meeting, head to www.anrlaw.com. You can also find us on social media at ANR Law. Find a better way forward right here on Divorce Healthy.